Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Welcome to the June installment of A Course in Miracles with Robert Rosenthal, MD. Today we'll be discussing time. We all live within a world governed by time, and it influences just about every aspect of our lives. But what is it really? Does it serve a purpose, or is it just one of the parameters of the physical universe, like gravity, light, or temperature? Well, Dr. Bob and I are going to take a look at this today and look into the world of perception because we all know time wears two faces, so we'll be exploring all of that. Hi, Dr. Bob. How are you? Hi, Char. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. This is one of my favorite topics. It's a lot of fun because it's, um, yeah. I think once we really understand it, it's like, oh, how could I look at it any other way now? Yeah, a lot of people are very intrigued by the concept of time. And in fact, I'm kind of surprised we didn't think about this one to, uh, to, to talk about before. It wasn't time yet. <laughs> exactly. It wasn't time yet. <laughs> or we just didn't have time for it. <laughs> well, we picked the topics that we're guided to speak about, and, and it's always perfect. So I think our timing with this is in, in line with everything else we've been doing, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. So I want to tell the audience, I want to do some um, – What's the word, housekeeping, and give them some news on where you'll be in the coming months and what's, oh, what's great. taking Thank place you. going forward? No, that's great. Um, so uh, first, we are not going to be doing the second Thursday talk next month, July. We'll skip July, summer vacation, um, kids around. So I think we'll just pass on that. The second okay. week in August, we will do um, second Thursday in August, and that'll be interesting because the very next day I will be flying out to the West Coast um, to participate, speak at the uh, Miracle Distribution Center conference called The Light Has Come. That's August uh, 9th and 10th out in uh, Irvine, Orange County, uh, California. They're going to have um, some very interesting speakers, including me, uh, Jerry Jampolsky and Diane will be there. Uh, but perhaps the most intriguing is uh, a, a pair will be speaking, a gentleman and a woman, uh, who will be demonstrating, I think, just how powerful forgiveness can be. She was, uh, she was, a, she murdered his wife uh, many, many years ago, and in prison, got turned on to a course in miracles, I believe, by him, and they have really done complete forgiveness, and they're going to be speaking together. So I, I think this should be um, 
a really powerful illustrative uh, experience for all of us. And if you're interested, you do not have to fly to California to participate. They have live streaming, um, including questions, uh, all from the Miracle Distribution uh, Center uh, website. And I will be putting that out on my, my website soon and on my uh, Facebook page, From Plagues to Miracles. So if you're interested in that, uh, do check it out. I will also be doing a couple of other radio in, uh, a radio interview at the end of July, um, more slanted towards uh, a Jewish audience about my book, From Plagues to Miracles. Uh, that would be, I think it's July 30th. Uh, clearly, as you can see, these, these dates are not right in my head. Uh, and then um, a TV interview with the local network here in Princeton, New Jersey, but I'll hopefully get a link for that to put up on the website too. So lots of stuff upcoming and, um, and exciting times ahead. Um, but right now, I think it's time to take a look at time. Uh, are you up for that, Char, or was there anything Hi. else you wanted to do in the way of housekeeping? Yep, I just wanted to add just a couple of things. Um, the name of the woman and the man who will be speaking, her name is Michelle Molina, and the husband of the woman she murdered, his name is Richard Gayton, and they, this is an amazing story. If you are a recipient of the Miracle Distribution Center's newsletter, The Holy Encounter, there's a bit more information in there, a full article written by yeah. Michelle Molina. I'm looking at her picture. Her energy is very bright. Obviously, she's learned a lot. She says that Course in Miracles has been part of her life since 1984 when she was imprisoned. And I just want to say also that, Dr. Bob, your article on forgiveness, the healing perception in this issue, which is the May-June 2014 issue, is absolutely excellent. I loved every word of it. Oh, thank you, Sharon. Thank you. Yeah, trying to distill forgiveness down to about uh, 1,000 to 1,200 words was not easy, and I had to leave out an awful lot. So maybe there will be a part two to that article, but I'm glad that, uh, that, that, that you, you found it helpful or enjoyable, and uh, other people have told me that too, so clearly uh, it was the right thing to write. Absolutely. No, we well, very well done. But so the ego's use of time, it's one of the cruelest tricks on the planet. Because it really trips everybody up. Why don't you go ahead and start your discourse, and I will take my notes. Sure. Um, and, you know, I, I, just um, to cover all the bases, uh, what is the call-in number? I don't know how many people are out there listening, but if someone did want to call in with a question, um, I don't have it right in front of me, the number. I have it. I will give it to you. If you, um, are, uh, if you feel compelled to call in and ask a question, and add to the conversation, that number is area code 347-934-0751. You can call in as long as we're live. If you are listening to the archive, obviously we are not live on the air. And in that case, you can always email your questions to us. You can send them to me at spiritualinsightsradio at gmail.com. You can also go to our Facebook pages. Dr. Bob's is From Plagues to Miracles on Facebook. Mine is Spiritual Insights. And feel free to send questions on this or any segment that you hear from us. Okay? Great. Thanks, Char. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's, uh, let, let's get into the topic of time. As I said, I, I've found that this is one of the more um, favorite topics of a lot of Course in Miracles students. And 
I, I find it very interesting myself, in part because on the one hand, it seems so complex and arcane, and on the other, I think it offers some of the clearest, most direct lessons and one of the clearest pathways to um, enlightenment that uh, perhaps of any topic in the course, including even forgiveness. So with that in mind, um, let's take a look at time. If you saw the blurb for this, uh, I asked time, is it a prison or classroom? And um, obviously that's a loaded question because it's both. If we're looking at it through the eyes of ego, then it is indeed a prison. Um, if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to reinterpret it for us, then, of course, it becomes a classroom because the Holy Spirit can reinterpret everything for us in a way that will um, lead us towards salvation, towards waking up. But let's take a look at the prison aspect first because I, I, I think we are all so run by time, at least speaking for myself, I am. Um, it really does rule so much of our lives that it helps to kind of step outside and just be aware of the tyranny of this particular prisoner. Um, almost everyone wears a watch. We're surrounded by watches. Most of us uh, use an alarm clock to wake up in the morning. In my psychotherapy practice, the most common complaint that I hear uh, is insomnia. And much of that inability to get to sleep is because people feel like, oh my gosh, it's 11 o'clock, it's midnight, it's 1 o'clock, I need to get to sleep so that I have enough time to rest because I have to get up tomorrow and jump into my day. Um, most of us run our lives on schedules. In this sense, I think time is one of the uh, most absolute and yet insidious forms of bondage that we experience. In my book, From Plagues to Miracles, I contrast uh, the bondage to money with the bondage to time. Uh, we all feel like we don't get enough of either of them. Uh, we all want more money, and we all wish we had more time. But whereas with money, most of us really do, you know, sort of nourish this secret hope that, you know, maybe someday I'll win that lottery, uh, maybe someday I'll even buy a ticket, uh, or my fortunes will turn up, or, you know, some great aunt from Africa that I didn't know I had will leave me a large uh, inheritance. Most of us in the world of money actually harbor a little bit more hope, whereas in the arena of time, because it's just so much the background, we tend to go into, not, into denial and not think of it. We jump from one day to the next. Um, we get caught up in, in whatever the task at hand is. Um, and ultimately, at the end of time, the end of our own personal time, we fear death. Because in the ego's view of time, death is the end. Death is the absolute final end. But, but, but so time as bondage has kind of these two faces too. It's got this immediacy of the tyranny of the moment. Um, how many of you have ever gone onto the internet to do one particular thing, to, to run a search on one term or send one email and then you're going to get off and an hour later you've gone through innumerable links and oh, let me just check this and let me check that uh, and quote unquote wasted time. Uh, on the other hand, how many of us really contemplate the idea that our lifetime as a personality in a physical body is finite? Uh, it will end. And taking a look at what does that mean and what 
do we, what is our purpose? What do we want to accomplish? Are we terrified of death? Or in fact, can we learn to identify not with the ego and the personality, but with another aspect of self completely, the, the Christ self, um, which Holy Spirit leads us to. And of course, to the extent that we are able to identify with, with that inner self, that Christ self, then there is no death because that doesn't die. Um, that's eternal. It's always been eternal. So it's very, very helpful to know who our, who our jailers are um, because if we don't, we'll never, we'll never try to escape. Now, I think that time, if we stare it straight in the face, um, reveals exactly the dilemma of the separated sons of God and of the goal of, <clears throat> of oneness, of the sonship. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, they used to say uh, in the writings of Caesar that all Gaul is divided into three parts. Well, all time, as we know it, is divided into three parts. The past, the present, and the future. And guess which parts we tend to focus on? No, it's not tend to. Guess which parts absorb all of our sense of time? It's the past and it's the future. Um, on the other hand, guess which part is where we live? Every day, every hour, every instant, every microfraction of that day, the present. So here's this very strange and intriguing paradox that I want to put before you. On the one hand, we can only live in the present, and I'm going to say a whole lot more about that. On the other hand, our ego mind keeps us anchored to the past and makes darn sure that that past becomes the determiner of the future. So that the present is just this kind of um, whatever interval in between that we really never pay attention to, never stop to look at, and never really even acknowledge as, as something uh, real. The ego loves the past. The past is the ego's favorite time. Why is this? Well, for one thing, it's over. There is no hope of salvation in the past. The ego doesn't have to worry about us ever waking up in the past because fact is we didn't do it. Um, so the ego can paint the past in these idyllic colors. Uh, this is um, reflected in the book of Exodus where the Hebrew people actually escape from Egypt, cross the Red Sea, find themselves en route to Mount Sinai to encounter God. And rather than embracing this freedom and the union with God that is coming and the miracle of manna and water coming from a rock, which is going to sustain them forever, what do they do? They start griping and remembering the past in Egypt, how wonderful it was, how good the food was. Um, you know, it's, I mean, I'm surprised they weren't saying, you know, boy, we took some great vacations there when we were slaves. They completely misunderstand and misremember what the past was all about because the ego can paint the past, as I said, in these beautiful idyllic colors uh, so that those quote-unquote good old times always beckon. But the good old times never are here. And in fact, if you are a student of A Course in Miracles, one of the more powerful teachings of the Course um, is to learn forgiveness. And one of the points of the article that I wrote in Holy Encounter, uh, and one of the points that A Course in Miracles makes over and over again, is that forgiveness is essentially release from the past. 
releasing yourself from your past, which is forgiving yourself, having compassion for those mistakes that you may have made, those unloving moments um, that you remember, and not going to the ego's favorite pastime of guilt. Because what does guilt do? It locks us into the past. I created, according to guilt, that wasn't a mistake. It was a sin. And a sin, boy, we're going to atone for that forever in the future. Um, So uh, the ego keeps us in the past because it anchors sin. um, And we have to forgive our own past. But more importantly, we have to forgive what the Course would call our brother's past. To say the history of grievances, insults, slights on the one hand, and specialness uh, and high moments on the other that we ascribe to all the other bodies running around in our world, the people with whom we have relationships and the people with whom we only fantasize we have relationships. Um, This would include your immediate family, your friends and lovers, but also movie stars on TV about whom you cherish particular fantasies, positive or negative, politicians, people you read about in the newspaper, sports stars. Um, The ego does an absolutely wonderful job of holding on to everyone's past. So forgiveness is really the ability to let the past go. But remember, the past is already over. There actually is nothing to let go. So we're playing this very clever, or rather the ego plays this very clever trick on us of keeping us in this virtual reality stream in which we believe there's an ongoing past that that in its, um, all the events that we've been through and our preferences tells us who we are. It defines our self-concept. And holding on to that past and that self-concept, now we march bravely into the future um, trying to achieve our goals, um, trying to make better people of ourselves, trying to atone for the sins of our past. Once again, the present moment is lost. So the ego doesn't like the present terribly much. And yet, to the Holy Spirit and to our real self, the present really is all there is. Um, there is nothing. <clears throat> there is nothing but the present. And here's where I think the extraordinary power of this lesson comes in. We have all been so duped by the ego mind that we don't notice the present. But if you pause and think about it. Every single human being, every animal, every plant, every form of life on planet Earth and in any other solar system, galaxy, or universe that there is, is inhabiting the exact same present moment. I find this an extraordinarily powerful teaching because it, it essentially proves the oneness of it all. Our minds are linked through this shared experience of the oneness of the only moment that that is real and it's only through the deception of the ego mind that that we overlook it therefore every instant offers us the capacity to see reality not with our physical eyes of course Um, one of the early course lessons uh, tells us I see only the past yeah we see only the past because when we look around we're looking at concepts that we have learned through our past experience. I'm looking out my office window now. It's uh, really finally summer here in New Jersey. There's a canopy of leaves. Um, There's a dull, dusky gray sky behind those leaves. That sky means it'll probably rain. The leaves are pretty. You know, I could go on and on with associations, all of which are anchored in the past. What am I actually seeing? 
Um, therefore, I'm only seeing the past. But when we open to the present, we are literally letting go of illusion and embracing the only reality there is. Is this not the goal of meditation? Uh, the Eastern religions have been way ahead of us in this regard, and that in, in their recognition that when you move into that inner space of meditation, that sense of pure consciousness in which each thought that comes up, uh, if you're doing mindfulness meditation, for example, each thought that comes up, you simply allow it to flow away, to leave. You notice it, oh, anger, oh, excitement, oh, thinking about paying the bills, whatever it is, you let it go. That at some point when you get good enough with that, there just is nothing else there. And you're experiencing the pure consciousness of the present moment, the pure consciousness of, of, of reality, of self. Um, the Course tells us in one of my favorite lines that the present is forgiveness. So forgiveness is released from the past. Yeah, that makes sense. But the present is forgiveness. So there are two ways to get to forgiveness. Um, one, recognizing those grievances and places that you're holding on to your brother's past and intentionally telling yourself there's a better way. This isn't real. I'm, I'm imprisoning myself in, in grievances. Each grievance is a two-edged sword. You know, it's going to cut me and it's going to cut my, my, my brother, my friend, uh, the, the people I love. Um, so um, on the one hand, we can do that, and the Course does a great deal of that. But there's this um, back door to forgiveness, which in fact is actually this huge, wide-open vista. It's, it's the front door, and that is embracing the present moment. Every time we embrace the present moment, we necessarily forgive, because without the past, we can only see our brother sinless. We must recognize that what we thought he did hasn't occurred, because nothing has occurred. The separation itself hasn't really occurred, because in the present moment, there is no time, there is no space separating us from Christ's vision, from all other people, and in fact, all other life forms um, that are one and the same with us. This leads to the Course's um, notion of the holy instant. So if you are a student of A Course in Miracles, um, from a fairly early point, the Course uh, from Chapter 15 is titled The Holy Instant in the text. Um, the Course talks a great deal about the holy instant. But again, what is the holy instant except the recognition of the present, the now and the now and the now, as the only time there is. And when we embody that present, we, we have forgiven. Um, and the holy instant, if, if we were able to practice it completely, purely, and truly, would immediately open us up to revelation, to the experience of God. There's a place in the Course where where it tells us, you know, you have not yet experienced the holy instant, but you will. I've often wondered whether that was directed specifically at Helen uh, Shuckman and, and Bill Thetford, the co-scribes who brought the course in. Um, mm -hmm. You know, hey guys, you're doing a good job, but you haven't experienced the holy instant. Or whether that actually is talking to all of us, because even though we may have experienced the inner peace, um, the, the pure consciousness in deep meditation, of the pure present, 
at some level we are still tied to our physical bodies you know at some subliminal level we're probably hearing our hearts beating or we're drawing a breath um, that that as long as we are embodied and as long as we are still playing this this virtual reality game uh, called physical reality that we can't fully embody um, the holy instant but but these are theological questions and speculations that really aren't worth our while um, so let's want the holy instant whether or not it's possible to experience it let's not um, work hard to get there let's just um, set that intention and know that that any given moment we could get there A Course in Miracles tells us that uh, the holy instant is this instant and every instant the instant that you want it to be it is so it's really not about some uh, Calvinistic foreordained point in your life where yes you're miserable now but you're going to learn all of this and somewhere in the future you a beam of light will come down from the sky and everything will light up and you'll know the answer in a way that's the ego's vision of heaven it it can't be now it can't be in the present it's got to be um, out there in the future somewhere because god forbid quite literally that i wake up now um, but the holy spirit says no we we can wake up at any point uh it's our choice so let's move from there to the course's idea of time which is that time itself happened in the merest sliver of an instant and then was instantly over when god created holy spirit to correct the error of the separation so that if you think of time i like to think that the big bang uh, that physicists talk about was what brought time uh, and space into creation um, brought the physical world into creation so the big bang happened created this this bubble of time within which we're all living this virtual reality um, game that we're we're sort of locked into and don't realize that we can escape in every in any moment but in fact it's already over um, it, it was over instantaneously so if you're looking at time from outside of time there is no time it, it, it really never happened by extension there is nothing to forgive in our brothers there are no brothers we are all one um, in God's eyes if God had eyes in God's reality uh, there is only oneness only love only eternity extending infinitely and forever um, so, <clears throat> excuse me of course says God knows you now um, but we relive the instant of the separation over and over and over again because we have not yet chosen to allow ourselves to take that release why because we still harbor some fear of God because we still harbor an attraction to the idea of death um, which is another way that the ego keeps us imprisoned because we still value the body for itself and because we don't want peace and if you're a, a, a diligent course student, you'll notice that I just um, listed the four obstacles to peace um, in reverse order. But as long as, as long as we are, we are not far enough along to say, I want the holy instant and I want it now and I want nothing else but the holy instant and I know there is no death, so I have no fear of the holy instant and I know that God welcomes me and would embrace me fully and completely until we get there. 
Yeah, we live in this thing called time where one instant follows another and one hour follows another and a day follows another. And they appear to be discreet and different, just as all of our brothers, the, the separated son of God, appear to be discreet and different. And the Course tells us, uh, I think this is actually in the Manual for Teachers, that, that, that we but relive an instant over and over. And because it's already finished, because time has already been completed, we have already transcended time. In reality, we've walked our path. Um, we've made the journey without distance. Um, the goal has already been reached. We, we, it, it's sort of like we're in a movie that's already been shot and filmed and the ending's there, and we've got it freeze-framed uh, at one point in the middle, and we're afraid to push that unpause button and let it just keep rolling. Because if it rolled forward, it would inevitably reach its ending. Um, we're afraid of that ending. As I said, we're afraid of God. But every moment that we see, on the one hand, is the reliving of this, this fractured the fractured sense of self that lives in a fractured unity of time, and yet that instant seen from outside or apprehended truly and honestly becomes the gateway to wholeness itself, the gateway to God, the gateway to oneness, the holy instant. Um, it's there every moment. Now, the Course has one other teaching that I think is very relevant here, only we don't usually link um, time with, with this. And that is, the Course tells us, um, choose once again, that the only power really remaining to us as physical beings is to discriminate truth from falseness, and then, that's not enough, you can't just discriminate, you have to make a choice. The power of decision is my own. We have to decide that we want truth, and that we no longer want illusion or falseness. So what is it about decision that's so remarkable? Well, you can't make a decision in the past. It's over. You can't make a decision in the future. If I sit here and I say, boy, I, I, I think I'm going to decide to uh, visit Char uh, you know, next month. Well, I'm making plans, but that's not a real decision. A decision, by definition, inhabits the space of the present. And therefore, when we make a true decision, a decision for truth, we are in the present. So when the Course tells us to decide for truth, to, um, or, or even just to make the decision to use Christ's vision rather than our own, in its own way, it is, um, I was going to say forcing us, but no, it doesn't force us because we're never forced. It, 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 it's giving us another vocabulary, a different way of understanding how to re-embody the present. If we make a choice for God, for Christ, for oneness, for truth, for light, um, for forgiveness, we are ipso facto in the present. And finally, the last aspect of time that we need to look at is the function of the miracle. A Course in Miracles is called A Course in Miracles. Uh, and it says very clearly that miracles don't exist in the oneness of God. God doesn't know miracles. God doesn't need miracles. Miracles are a device within that bubble of time that I was talking about. Miracles are a device for shortening time. Miracles are a device 
that allow us, instead of going through this long, long winding path of seemingly different instants rife with dissatisfaction and suffering and pleasures that fade and triumphs that, you know, a month later don't feel like terribly much, rather than walking this very long uh, and circuitous route through lifetime after lifetime, uh, many of us believe, the miracle shortens time. The miracle allows, uh, the miracle, when we bring it in, allows for learning between us and a brother, and it may be a brother we know, and it may be a brother that we don't know at all. You know, the Christ mind can take the opportunity for a miracle that comes from our readiness and take it anywhere around the entire universe and use it where it will be most um, helpful. But the miracle shortens time. Uh, it says, I think, fairly early in the text, the course, um, you know, miracles can substitute for learning that otherwise could take thousands of years. And I'd like to give you um, a, a metaphor or an analogy for understanding that. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I will probably um, share it again and again in different talks I give because I, I think the concept of the miracle is hard for many people to understand. So the story goes like this. I'm a psychiatrist. Um, I've done a fair amount with hypnosis in the past. And there used to be a psychiatrist who was kind of the, um, the avatar of hypnosis. His name was Milton Erickson. Um, and this guy, uh, stories about his life abounded and really got quite apocryphal. Um, but there's one story from his childhood that I think very much helps illustrate how miracles work. And the story... Um, goes like this. It says that um, Erickson, um, who uh, before he contracted polio uh, and couldn't walk very well as a child, uh, would play this prank and that when it snowed, he would go to his school, and I'm guessing this was probably early 20th century, uh, so long before snow plows or janitorial crews were available to, plow, to shovel snow, he would go there and he would shovel a very long and winding path from, you know, from the road to the front of the school. And he'd find that because the path was there, everyone would walk that long path um, to get to the front door of the school. And each day he would show up again early in the morning, long before any students or teachers arrived, and he'd lop off one leg of that path. He'd just kind of, um, you know, shovel out another leg that, of course, because it was shorter, people would then follow that. And eventually, there would be a straight path from the road to the schoolroom door. And I think it probably was a schoolroom in his day. This is how miracles work. We've got this long, winding path that we don't see. It's kind of like we're within a maze and we're just following our noses um, and, oh, well, we can't walk there because, gee, there seems to be a wall there. And the miracle is a shortcut. It, 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 it literally um, jumps us from one part of our journey to a more advanced one. Uh, I guess another way of thinking of this, and maybe even a better one, would be if you've ever played the child's game Shoots and Ladders, uh, or I think there's a Chinese equivalent, Snakes and Dragons. Uh, this would be hitting a ladder that brings you suddenly to a much higher level. Only it isn't higher, it's just further along your path. So this is what miracles do. They just chop a chunk out of time. All of time is an illusion, so it's not really doing anything remarkable in that sense. Again, we could, each and every one of us, completely 
um, even preempt the need for miracles by embracing the present moment, the holy instant, instantly, and all of time would be gone. In fact, that is what happened. Um, but instead, we feel like we have this long journey. Um, I think this is what uh, Course Workbook Lesson 158 refers to when it says the script is written. Many Course students see this as, oh, my life is completely foreordained. Everything that's going to happen um, is, you know, has already been planned. And I actually think that's a misunderstanding because the uh, introduction to the text tells us that you know, we can't establish the curriculum, but we certainly can choose what we want to take at uh, the time when we want to take it. There is free will. I think the script is written means that, yes, there is this path that we will inevitably follow and wake up, and at some point, um, we will get to the end. How long that takes us, how long we delay, how long we turn our eyes away from uh, the inevitable, that indeed is up to us. And when we can open, forgive, allow the miracle to come in, then part of that path gets lopped off. And by the way, that isn't your personal path. That's part of the grand, collective, um, wandering, convoluted maze uh, that is the path of, of the sonship of all humankind. This is how students and teachers of A Course in Miracles and of other mystical paths um, move time forward and and, and, and bring us that much nearer to its end point, to uh, salvation, to the end of the atonement. Back to the Erickson metaphor, I like to point out sometimes that the ultimate um, resolution would be not to walk a path at all, but just to kind of jump up on that hard-crusted snow and run and just glide right to that front door. But that's walking on water, and uh, we haven't yet learned to do that. So just to recap, time the holy instant, the only time there is, um, always available to us, the miracle, the shortcut through time, and, and in contrast, the ego, which keeps our feet chained to the past so that we can trudge into the future with no hope of ever recognizing the only reality there is in the present moment. Um, and I think that about covers it. <laughs> Do we have any time left? Uh, please weigh in, Shar, if, uh, if you have any thoughts. Sure, I do. <laughs> we have time. I figured. Um, no worry. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was beautifully laid out. I'd like to start kind of at the beginning where you started, if that's okay. That's perfect. I'm going to just uh, pull back and listen. Okay, have a good time. So, beautiful, beautiful insights and beautiful um, structure to your talk. And in the beginning of your discourse, uh, you said the magic words. And those words for me were you harbor hope. So I want to start from there because we do harbor hope. And hope is very tricky. The ego can make hope a thing that is basically false hope. So the best example I can come up with, let's talk in terms of the passing of a loved one, because the ultimate fear is of death. And then when a loved one passes, we are then here to endure the aftermath of that, the grief, the loss, the, um, all that comes with losing someone that we, that we cherish. But in terms of passing, in the 
in terms of the passing of a loved one. Many of us wish for more time. And what I would say to that is, what if you were granted that extra time with your loved one to say the things you wanted to say, to do the things that you feel most at a loss that you'll never get the chance? Um, because the, the moment is over, that life is over, and the distance between you is so great. But if you were granted your wish, suppose you wanted five minutes or suppose you wanted a day. Time, because that's what we are in, and the clock is ticking, and the calendar pages fall from the wall, once, once that time has elapsed, or you started begging for more time. So one of the best tricks to pull yourself out of this not the entire cycle of grief, but to shift your perception. If you can get to that place of awareness, really get to that place of awareness, you will not harbor false hope. You will not harbor wishes for more time because you will be in such a state of acceptance. You're okay with what is. And that in itself is a miracle. And then that leads me to the holy instant the correction of error, the correction of our thinking and our perception. If we allow it, the Holy Spirit will come right in and correct our perceptions for us. If we do not do this, these stories continue to play in our mind. I lost my loved one too soon. All of those things that plague us and haunt us and keep us in the prison of our egos, which is where the ego wants us. But we can get out of there, and, and there is a, a few ways. I want to bring up also the statement, time heals all wounds. And I want you to dig deep and really determine if you believe that to be true. Because in my experience, and with some metaphysical knowledge, our, our mind takes the perception of time and we stretch it horizontally so that we can perceive the past, the present, and the future. And it breaks it up into those three compartments. In reality, everything happens all at once. So if we look at that and see how time does help us to a degree in that it's stretched out horizontally and gives us time and an opportunity to wrap our minds around the tragedies that have occurred and get some distance from the memory of it. And what are memories? Memories are merely energetic blips with pictures attached to them. So some of our most tragic memories haunt us but using time and the holy instant and forgiveness and acceptance, we can let those go and we can embrace without guilt a joy for life, a will to live, and, and a desire to complete the contract we have with God and accomplish what we need to accomplish without so much sadness and grief for the loss of a loved one, which it, it's indeed sad, and we do need to grieve. But time will pull you forward into the future and give you a chance to rearrange your life so that you can coexist with those tragic memories. And that's the helpful side of time. With regard to the prison versus the classroom scenario, in the ego's use of time, I want to go back to the beginning of the book in what it says. And what it says is nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. And so if we peel back the layers, we can say time isn't real because it's subject to change. 
it passes with each moment. So that right there renders it an illusion. Nothing unreal exists, and that kind of nails it right there. Herein lies the peace of God. So if we recognize the unreality of time itself and get to that holy instant and allow that miracle to come, that is where we will find our peace. That is exactly where we will find our peace. There is a, a fundamental distinction made in this paragraph about knowledge and perception, which are two distinct and opposite thought processes that arise. Knowledge in and of itself is healing and truth. No thoughts can exist apart from God because we share one will with him. But knowledge then is like God's love and his thoughts. It is truth. So to know is to acknowledge the true essence of a brother without the interference of the perceptions of the ego, which can only gather data, go from its internal frame of reference, and make its judgments accordingly. This person is good. This person is bad. This person is dangerous. If we look at perception, which is merely knowledge condemned based on falsehood, perception is of the ego and made by the belief in opposites and separate wills. So when Dr. Bob was speaking of grievances, naturally then, these grievances that we hold, these memories, they're merely perceptions that need constant defense because they are not real and remain in perpetual conflict with each other, within ourselves, the war with ourselves, and with God. So if we look at our grievances as illusions and approach it with the same amount of energy that we approach smaller things, since the ego likes to determine size. Size is determined by the degree of loss or pain that you experience. You could lose a favorite watch, but you could get over it. If you were to lose a family member, the ego perceives that it's much bigger and much harder to deal with. In truth, though, based on the teachings of A Course in Miracles, we can approach both with the same amount of acceptance and forgiveness and achieve similar results. And that's, that's what we need to do. Our belief in reality is based on our use for it. So if we change our perception of what reality is for, remain in the present, and release the compulsion to constantly look at the past, free of the past, and to then see our future in its remains, that is where the prison is. So if you want to set yourself free from that prison, we can release the past through forgiveness, through the holy instant. And if you want to really experience a real experience of kind of breaking out of time, do the lessons in A Course in Miracles. That is what I experienced, and that was, that's what I yes. felt. Can I throw that over to you now, Bob? Yes, um, thank you. Uh, a lot of really good points, um, and I'll just sort of pick pick a few things at random here. Um, okay. The idea, I mean, the, the idea of wanting to spend more time with someone who is dying, I, I, earlier in my career I did um, pain management in an in-ho- inpatient hospital setting and occasionally I would get called to the oncology unit. <clears throat> Usually that is about either feeling we have some uh, grievance against someone that we never completed or that we um, hurt someone and would wish that we had uh, told them that we were sorry, Uh, or much more frequently that we just really, really love someone and we're going to miss the fact that they're not going to be in our world anymore. And 
far be it from me to tell anyone um, not to do that. But I will say this, to the see ourselves <laughs> as, um, as a personality, as a collection of memories, then our death becomes extremely painful because we don't go on any further. We won't be laying down any new memories with people. Um, Kubler-Ross talked about uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, a psychiatrist who wrote a great deal uh, about death and dying and perhaps worked with more death and dying uh, people than anyone in the history of the planet, you know, talked about how we grieve someone else dying, but that the person dying is losing everything. Well, if you conceptualize yourself as an ego mind with all of um, these events and memories and and objects and things that are precious, then we really are losing everything. And I actually um, I, I agree with the Buddhist writer Stephen Levine, um, who um, in the 1980s wrote a wonderful book called Who Dies, and that the dying process itself helps us strip away those things because you know, if you were an athlete, well, guess what? You know, past a certain age, you can't do that anymore. And if your mind worked beautifully, guess what? Now you're not remembering things. And, and even, you know, right down to the most basic human functions of being able to eat or being able to, you know, go to the bathroom and control it, um, even these things are taken away from us. So, so the whole process of aging and illness and dying actually is almost like a glide path saying, <clears throat> this is not you. You're not a physical body. Um, embody, you know, embrace something different. The same applies to those whom we love out in the world. Um, one of just about everybody's favorite passages in A Course in Miracles, and I know it's on page 83 of the Foundation for Inner Peace edition. I don't know where that is in other editions. But it essentially says all of your loving moments are stored up for you. You don't lose love. Yes, we find love in physical reality in special forms, in particular forms. Um, but if it really is genuine, unconditional love and not a special relationship masquerading as love, um, if it really is just the love of God that's just there, then that is eternal because love is God and God is love and, and both are eternal. So you literally can't lose them. And, and when I've lost uh, people, you know, friends or uh, parents uh, to, to death, what I go to is not, oh, my gosh, I'll never have that with them again. It's more the, the sense that the real person has become just love. Uh, they've shed all of those elements of personality and past. They're no longer in a world of time. They're not enlightened because the drag of karma, if you will, the fact that they did live here and believed in all of it is still there. And I think that's, that's where we end up, you know, seemingly coming back into this oneness of time in order to do it again and, and do a better job. But ultimately, their love, we're love. And so the desire for more time with someone, I would translate as the desire for more love and more experiences of love. And once you make that shift, then it's like, okay, but where was their love? Uh, and if there wasn't love and you wanted the love, then guess what? Present moment is the time to do that. And you can do that whether they are still alive and in their physical body 
or whether they've passed over uh, and died. Um, uh, if we're haunted by memories, you had alluded, Char, to you know, what do you do when you, you have a lot of these memories and they tie you to the past? Well, once again, this is where forgiveness comes in, and we can work that either through the content of the memory. Um, in my psychotherapy practice, I have worked with, um, with, with people, primarily women, who have gone through some of the most horrific forms uh, of abuse as children, sexual, physical, uh, things that I wouldn't even want to relate on the air. Um, and, 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 and in going through them, Usually there is a phase where they have to get angry, uh, and I don't blame them, and, and begin to get empowered. But at some point, if you're doing that work, even at the level of content, even with the most horrific abuse, you find that it kind of melts away, and you're left, if not with love, because uh, that might be too far a stretch for some of us, but at least with mm -hmm. a sense of peace. That is to say, the past no longer haunts you about it. But you can also get there by taking that mystical spiritual route where you're dropping all of your own personal past and therefore forgiving your fellow human beings all of theirs, and then whether the transgression was being um, sexually tortured at age three or whether the transgression was that person who inadvertently uh, cut you off at the light, it, it really all amounts to the same thing in that you're letting it all go. Within the ego world, there's order of difficulty, and that you know one is clearly much worse. But right. from the perspective of spirit, and this is what's so hard for people to get, there is no order of difficulty either in the miracles that heal these things, or in you know the ego's order of suffering. Either you're in truth and in love, uh, and in God and in oneness, or or you're not. Um, so let me uh, pause, and uh, does that trigger any uh, thoughts for you? Um, and uh, if not, let me just um, add maybe one more piece here. I don't know if we have any questioners on the line. If we do, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that, that Char is talking to them right now. Um, but if not, the good news is you're going to get there, and so is everyone you love. Um, the good news is that time really is a classroom, and we truly can choose what, what course within it we want to take. Uh, I mean, we can choose when we want to take that course. But they're all really the same course. They're all really a course in miracles, a course in forgiveness, a course in reality, a course in oneness. Um, you will get there. You are not constrained by time. It's just a matter of whether you choose to use time in a sense, to take the slow route, you know. Uh, some might call it the scenic route, but I don't know how scenic it is. I think we've all seen those sites far too many times and uh, would much rather get on that express train and uh, just watch it all flash by very quickly uh, and get to our destination, get to the goal that we, we really want. And again, that goal is not death. In the ego, I, I, I didn't mention this earlier, in the ego's conception of time, death is the ending. Death is the inevitable ending because the ego sees itself as a personality and, um, and as a body. Um, so to the ego, time will lead us to death. But to the Holy Spirit, there is no death. 
therefore to the Holy Spirit that endpoint, you know, where where the express bullet train or the scenic route will eventually lead us is heaven, the kingdom of God, the real world, and from there but a, a short quick step to the oneness of God and love himself. Um Char, do you have any any other thoughts on all of this? Yeah, I just um, want to recommend that everybody go and read the selections you um, gave for recommended reading, which was um, Chapter 13, Section 6, Chapter 26, Section 8. It was Chapter 15, Section 1, and the workbook lesson number 158. This is all excellent material to help kind of make sense of all that we're talking about. I know it tends to be complicated, but if you can sit with it, and one thing that it does say in Chapter 13, um, Section 6, is that only the past can separate, and it is nowhere. So indulging in the past or lamenting the past, um, you're just keeping yourself there. The only good that we can do is to call up a joyful memory and feel that love all over again. That is the proper use of the past, according to the Torah. But it's very interesting. But what I, like I said before, once you kind of see it this way, it's hard to go back to a previous way of thinking. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean... This is where A Course in Miracles is not simply a spiritual path that you do um, on weekends and for a few minutes a day. It's not an affirmation that you repeat that's going <clears> to <throat> make your life better by delivering to you the things of physical reality as as so many um, seemingly spiritual paths promise today. And I'm not saying that those aren't useful stepping stones. I'm just saying they're not ultimate. When you really work uh, the text, the workbook, the manual for teachers of A Course in Miracles, you realize just how radical it is. And uh, at a, after a certain point, no, there is no going back. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, once you've woken up, uh, you, you know, you, you just can't remember that dream the way that you were living it when you were in it. Um, and, and in the early stages, uh, well, actually, at any stage, that can be scary. And, and this is why we have time. This is the classroom of time. We can literally take the time that we need to move forward um, because the Holy Spirit, your personal path guide, will never do anything that increases fear. Anything that increases fear is going to push you back into the arms of the ego. So... Whatever you are ready for, whatever that next step might be, that's what will be presented for you. If we're climbing Mount Everest, this isn't about, you know, um, throwing ropes and doing all kinds of dangerous maneuvers uh, unless that's something that's fun for you. This is, this is about Holy Spirit building a staircase of, you know, seven-inch steps that will go on for a long way, but that you can take at whatever pace you want, um, and, and you will get there and you will get there. And with the miracle, it builds in a few elevators and helicopter rides and other fun stuff. Um, but the Holy Spirit will never increase fear, so you have all the time you need. Um, but don't fritter time away. I'm very fond of looking at certain phrases sometimes, and I like the phrase wasting time. And in the ego world, wasting time means, oh, 
you did something that wasn't productive. And usually that mm-hmm. means you did something that wasn't about making money. Um, you know, that was a waste of time. In point mm-hmm. of fact, anything that we do in the world of time that isn't on our spiritual path is a waste of time. Um, time is here to be used and utilized for your spiritual path by you, Holy Spirit, and the Christ mind, all walking together in, in perfect harmony, in perfect concert. Um, anything else is a waste of time. Someday I want to write an article on that one, too. <laughs> okay. Um, that would, I'll look yeah. forward to that. <laughs> Do we have no, any uh, people on the line? or? We, we okay. did, but they, they didn't... Um, they didn't want to come on the air and ask a question. They really just wanted to listen, and that happens sometimes, so that's okay. That's okay. Um, but sure. other than that, no. Um, well, there is a beautiful section in Chapter 26. If you like, I can read that to end the show. That sounds like a great way to go. Okay. Awesome. Because we're out chapter- of time for the show, but we're not out of time. <laughs> exactly. And... Um, time is fleeting, but re- but archives are forever. So beautiful, right? This is chapter twenty-six, yeah. the transition, section eight, the immediacy of salvation. Very important phrase. And this is paragraph nine. Be not content with future happiness; it has no meaning and is not your just reward. For you have cause for freedom now. What profits freedom in a prisoner's form? Why should deliverance be disguised as death? Delay is senseless, and the, quote, reasoning that would maintain effects of present cause must be delayed until a future time. It's merely a denial of the fact that consequence and cause must come as one. Look not to time, but to the little space between you still to be delivered from. And do not let it be disguised as time, and so preserve, because its form is changed, and what it is cannot be recognized. The Holy Spirit's purpose now is yours. Should not his happiness be yours as well? Beautiful. Amen. And thank you. Amen. Well, we'd just like to remind everybody that uh, on August 9th and 10th, you will be in Irvine, California at the Miracle Distribution Center's wonderful A Course in Miracles conference called The Light Has Come, and you will be on vacation uh, before we talk to you again, but I do hope that your vacation goes splendidly, and you, I, I know how hard the winter was for you, so you've got some really yes, it was. well-earned time off, and I hope you just get to sit and be, put your toes in the sand, that type of thing, and I'll look forward to talking about the atonement in August. Sounds great, Shard. Thank you so much. And You're welcome. thank you all for listening. Yes, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Dr. Bob, and until next time, God bless and be a peace.